will accuse me of sin and fate and for the Jesus amen. I'm a child of God and the next of kin to the one whose glory fills me with it. I'm still amazed at what the Lord can do. How is such a grace is going to take me to a place of joy that will have no end. Made possible for the born again is paid and for the Jesus amen. There was a woman Jesus at a well in the heat of day. She found the water, but left her bucket to go and tell. She found the way. I'm sure the scoffers must have gathered once to know. got you you just thought it was over with yeah a little little ending there i like that uh song and uh sad note our last service with our group and uh so it has been a great week my goodness we have really enjoyed it and uh lord is blessed and uh we've seen decisions made and so we're uh super excited 
uh, about uh, the opportunity tonight uh, to hear uh, once again from God's Word uh, through uh, preaching, uh, through music, through drama, and uh, so we're super excited about that. Thank you, visitors. Uh, I know we've got some visitors in the services uh, uh, this evening. Thank you for being here with us. The um, week has been well attended, and uh, I am... I don't know how many people I've told uh, that uh, we're going to start having um, concerts in the evenings from now on, and uh, just, just I mean it, it draws a crowd, and so we're uh, we're super thankful uh, for the opportunity to um, be blessed and uh, and refreshed and revived, and uh, God has done that uh, this week. I'm going to ask uh, the ushers to come and uh, make ready for uh, uh, our offering. We've taken up an offering uh, each week, uh, each week, each uh, night. It feels like uh, it has gone fast, and then it feels like it's just uh, gone slow and great and just been blessed. And uh, so uh, if you've not got an opportunity to give, I know many of you have. And thank you for all those that have given. Uh, uh, There's not enough time to thank everybody that has had a part in this. Uh, People have provided money for food. People have provided food. Uh, People have provided service. And uh, people have given to the love offering. And some have done all of those things. And so we are uh, very thankful uh, for you. But if you've not got the opportunity to give, uh, I want to challenge you uh, tonight. Uh, this will be the last opportunity to be able to give uh, to ERM, and we want to make sure that we take uh, uh, good care of them and uh, make sure that uh, their expenses uh, uh, are, are paid and uh, let them know how much we appreciate them being with us uh, uh, in the services uh, this week. So if you're going to give, if you have plans on giving, uh, if you'll use an envelope there in front of you uh, on the back of the pews, and if you'll put cash or check, if you're going to make it out a check, make it out to Rinka Baptist Temple, but make sure that you put on the, uh, put on the uh, envelope ERM or Revival or something like that, just so that we know to earmark at that. And uh, thankful for a great meal. Had uh, El Riel um, cater uh, the meal uh, for tonight. And um, glad I'm not preaching, Brother Mark. I tell you, uh, I would have ate quite a bit less if I was. And so it was just a good meal and a good time of fellowship uh, together. Heavenly Father, we love you. We do thank you for the opportunity that is ours to be here tonight. Thank you for the team. Thank you for all uh, that they have already uh, done and how you've used them uh, here at Rinkin Baptist Temple. I pray that you would continue uh, to use them in a mighty way, uh, not only tonight, uh, but in the weeks ahead as they travel and, uh, and preach and sing and uh, through drama and uh, sign language and all that they do, Lord. And they do so much, and we're so thankful that you sent them uh, our way. I pray that you would bless uh, the offering. I pray that you bless the gift and the giver. And may all that's taken up be sufficient to meet the needs of of this great group. Lord, I pray that you would uh, uh, have your will and your way in our services tonight. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry, host, you trace the mountain peak. 
mercy all nature testifies your splendor praise the lord praise the lord sing his greatness all creation praise the lord praise your voice you heights and all you dress from furthest east to west let everything that has breath so good to see you all on this Wednesday night, and we have so much. Praise the Lord. I was reminding the team the other day, the Bible says we should enter into His gates with thanksgiving and towards courts with praise. God never wants us to stop praising. And you know what? We can praise Him all day. We can praise Him all night. You can praise Him from now until the day you meet Him, and you still won't exhaust all the things that you can praise Him for. And one of the great things we want to praise Him for tonight and just thank Him for is how uh, such a wonderful blessing you all have been to us food, the refreshment, 
the goodie bags when we arrived here on Saturday. Everyone has just blessed us and lavished so much love and encouragement on us. In fact, right before the service tonight, a little a guy named Kel Yates. Uh, anybody know who that guy is? Yeah. All right. Oh, they're all pointing at you. Kel, they know you. Kel walked up to me and said, hey, I just want to give this to you and the team. And he drew us a picture and it's a cross. It says, Jesus loves you. Thank you all for coming. It's got all the team members' names on it. And you know what? That's just a glimpse of all the blessings uh, we have received this week from you. And your pastor and wife uh, told us that, hey, we want you to be refreshed this week. And uh, that has definitely happened. So thank you so very much. We appreciate it. If you help bring food, which there had to have been an army of people who have brought food this week and continue, uh, please keep feeding us, by the way, till Saturday. Don't, don't stop after tonight. But if you brought food, bringing food, could you just raise your hand so the team can say thank you tonight? Yeah, thank you so much. We appreciate it greatly. And so just thank you for all that you've done. Well, I'm going to invite the team to come down, the drama team to stay up and Tonight, uh, we also have several family members of team members that have come all the way down to Georgia. I don't know what it is about, about Georgia. Everybody wants to come to Georgia. I don't know if we've ever had this many team member families here tonight. So, Joe, you want to introduce your family? All right. So, so Joe's parents and grandparents all the way from New York down to Georgia. So, And then, Jacob, you want to introduce your family? All right. Joe's family does not talk like any of you. Jacob's family does, all right? And then Julia's family. Julia, is your sister in here tonight? Yes. All right, where's she at? She's right. She's in the back. She's in the back beside Valerie. Okay, yeah. So Julia's family drove down here yesterday from Ohio and wanted to spend a few days, but they were actually in a car accident this evening before the service. Everyone's okay, and her mom's wrist is messed up a little bit, and they're getting her... Uh, checked out, and we've been kind of dealing with that before the service, but all is okay, and thank you for praying for them. And, and I told Julie, I said, Julie, you don't need to sing tonight. You can just take care of your family, but she didn't listen, and here she is, and uh, because she wants to bless you. And so tonight, uh, we're going to continue, and we want to bless you tonight with one of my favorite dramas that the team does. It's entitled, God. generations in the moment of his birth. He is the embodiment, the fullness of deity. He is the embodiment of eminence, the personification of promise, the culmination of covenant, the answer to every question that's ever been raised throughout history about who God is. And with his every movement, he has shown us who God is. God is. Holy, 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 absolutely, and definitively other than transcending every benchmark and reference point known to man holy, dwelling in a high and holy place, and yet sweeping down low into the depths of depravity to show that he is God, but he is for us, holy, with eyes too pure to look upon evil, 
and an arm too strong to be matched with an equal, blameless in every possible way, and yet choosing in his compassion to absorb every ounce of our blame, God is love, drawing near and pressing into the sorrow of the sufferer, the agony of the afflicted, the plight of the impoverished, and the shame of the sinner, love, demonstrating itself not just with words, but with a cross, not with empty sentiment, but with evidence, blood bought, body breaking, grief bearing, hell shaking evidence, love, relentless in its chase, patient in its pursuit, love, before the foundation of the earth determining to set itself upon you, God is humble, emptying himself by taking on a servant's form and being born in the likeness of devising his riches by laying down his life and forsaking his throne to make the wrong things right. And though he was rich, he chose to be that by his poverty we could have abundantly. God is mercy, rich in mercy, ready to receive all who would come to him by faith in their time of need, pardoning sin and never coming to an end, and following the faithful until our days are finished. Mercy. Bleeding out and pleading in intercession, pardoning transgression as far as the east is from the west, God is just whipping through temples and rebuking the pious, storing up almighty fury to pour out on all those who refuse to reckon with his righteousness, just drinking the cup of his father's wrath, consuming it in full on your behalf, God is mighty. And the strength of his arm is too great to be measured. The kind of power that can walk on water. And cleanse the leper. And open the eyes of the blind. And open the ears of the deaf. And cause the storms to cease. And the stubborn and hardened hearts to believe. Mighty, rising from the tomb, just as he promised. In triumph and victory. God is with us. God is among us. God is alive and well within us. He is the illuminating light coursing through our veins and radiating out of us. Light, not meant to be snuffed out by our complacency, but spread like wildfire, not buried beneath frivolous affairs or trivial pursuits, or overshadowed by lofty arguments that overshadow our view of the truth. You were made for a mission, ransomed for a reason, rescued for the purpose of telling your story redemption to every living, breathing soul who will listen. That is the story of the gospel. So let us shout from the mountains, over the hills, through the valleys, and everywhere. That Jesus Christ has come, and we are the living embodiment of his kingdom. So right here in these days, when hearts are heavy and questions are raised, let us get up, go out, and proclaim unashamed that, that God, God is with us.
just to bow down before your throne. See your face, I'll cry out, because you're holy, holy, holy are you. Jesus, Jesus. 
Well, I don't know if you've been keeping up with the, the good news. There's a lot of bad news out there, but there is some really good news going on right now in our country of outbreaks of revival taking place amongst the nation. Obviously, I mentioned Asbury uh, College on Sunday. That uh, revival can take place on that campus. It started last Wednesday. It has now continued four hours a day for the past week, where college students have met hour after hour after hour on that college campus, confessing, getting right with God, and waiting on the Lord. Now, what's interesting is, as I read about it today, thousands of people are coming from all over the country to see it. In fact, 80% of the crowd are people from other places. And my wife and I were talking about that today, and, and, uh, and that's neat and all, that you, you want to go see God at work in people's lives. But my greater burden as I consider this is, is, as much as I would like to go see what God is doing with them, I don't have to drive to Kentucky to see God at work. God wants to work wherever people are willing to cooperate with God. And, 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 and so today in the car, my wife and I were talking about it, and we were spending some time together, and, and I don't think she'd mind me sharing this, but all of a sudden, I wasn't expecting this because my wife doesn't cry very often, and I cry a lot, especially when I watch Andy Griffith, but she doesn't cry very much, and all of a sudden, she broke out in tears, and I looked over, my wife just began to pour out her heart in the car today. She goes, We've been able to see so much as a team. We've seen God work all around the country because I want to see God do more. There's more that we can do to cooperate with God for revival, more sin that we can confess. Our hearts can be more clean than they are. I don't want us to be satisfied with just a mere dollar's worth of God. You know what's interesting? Over the past two and a half weeks, I told these young people today, they've seen more in the past two weeks than many people have seen in their lifetime. We've seen over 30 people trust Christ in the past two and a half weeks. On top of so many other decisions, altars full, people getting right, people getting right with one another, churches uh, moving forward, people starting Bible studies, people starting prayer groups. And what I'm amazed is this, it's not because a team of people comes and sings some songs and does a few dramas. God works where people decide they want Him, and they want Him bad enough that they're going to get clean, confess their sin, and get serious, yield and surrender, and then God all of a sudden goes, oh, that's really good. I'll show up and show off through that people. So tonight, let me ask you a question. How badly do you want revival in your life church? We talk about revival meetings. Well, we're leaving. We didn't bring revival, and we're not taking it with us. But how badly do you want revival in your church, your family? And then I asked the team that this week. I said, guys, you've seen so much in the past few weeks. And if we're not careful, we'll walk into churches and just think, well, God's obligated because we sing a few songs and do a few dramas. You get up and preach. He's going to work, and that's just the way it's going to be. And then I can kind of be flippant. One thing I challenge them with this week is the more God allows us to see, the more serious we better get. Because it's becoming a very delicate thing. One morning you can wake up and just don't see any salvation. Nobody comes forward anymore. What happened? Quenched and grieved the Holy Spirit of God. So tonight I'm going to ask the team probably the most important question I've asked you in a year and a half. We pray all the time for God to bring revival to churches, but we shouldn't be praying that if God's not bringing revival to us. So how is God convicting you changing you? How do you want to see him work, not in other people, but in you? Days. Can you answer that question for us?
Logan? Last night. Yeah. I've been out late. I put my identity. Yeah. Um, realizing in the past that I put my identity in a lot of different. Yeah, I'm an mechanic. Whatever. Or I put it in my family. Okay. Or I put it in encounter. Okay, I'm part of a minute. And the thing is, identity is not Christ. I if I. On things, I've lost my identity. If I move away, my family is. I don't live at home anymore, and I lose that part of my identity. After August, I won't be on Encounter anymore. That part of my identity. All those things can be taken from. Me. So God's just been convicting me. I've been going through Ephesians, um, which is about your identity in Christ, who God says you. Um, and I've just been writing out, God says I am. Not thinking, you know, okay, this is who I am because this is part of my personality, or this is who I am because this is what I do, or this is what I am because this is what people say I, I am. All these different things that I, that I think I am, or that people say that I am, or that I, I think that I am. And just realizing that, no, all those things can be taken in an instant. And they will someday. Like, when I leave this earth, I'm not going to be an electrician. I don't, I don't think so. But I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be installing light bulbs in heaven, you know? And it's just, that's where I'm at. And, like, all these things can be taken from but my identity as a Christian, as a child of God, as a free, forgiven son of him, cannot be taken. I would say that one way that I've been convicted recently, so many times I get caught up in the lie that that sin is better than what God has for me. That sin is better than God. And a verse that's been really convicting to me recently, I shared it with the team last night, Romans 12, verse 1. And it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable of God, which is your reasonable service. And when I, when I read that verse, I see two things. I see that we're called to surrender. We're called to give our bodies a living sacrifice, our, our, our all, our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But there's, there's a reason for that. It's by the mercies of God. Because of the superior pleasure that God has for us, because he is completely worthy, because he's shown us mercy, we were dead in our sin. He shows us mercy. The greatest way he did that is, in the, is on the cross. And in light of that, we are to give him our all. And I shared it with the teens last night, but the song Jesus Paid It All literally says that. 
Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So many times I get caught up in the lie that sin is better than God's mercy. And, and I have experienced it, that sin is not better than God's mercy. So many times I'm falling into sin because I lose sight of mercies that God has given. And his mercies aren't just a one-time thing or a, a weekly thing. It's a daily thing. His mercies are every single day. That should cause me to give my all to him every single day because he is I would say uh, two things that God's really been convicting me of is surrender. Um, my plans like, have changed so much when I joined Encounter to where they are now. Um, and so often, my flesh will come up. I try to take those reins back. I want to not give them to them. I don't want to. That's something that I'm constantly. And then another thing someone already is unbelief. And so many small. I read a quote today. We all theoretically know that God is good. We just don't think he'll be good to us. And that really struck me. I know God is good. We all know God is good. When it comes down to it, am I going to know that God is going to be good to me? Am I going to trust that he's going to be good? That just really struck me, and as we're talking about convicting me, that how much am I really not trusting God to be good? else? I would say just, but not just throughout the past few weeks. That's all. It's been incredible. But, and we had a prayer meeting. That week, Bob. But it was kind of, it wasn't just every week, every morning. 5 a.m. all in prayer. Every night after the service. It was just constant. It just kind of convicted my avidly. My truly. Everything that he says he's going to do. But my actually trust. It's been something that I've been. I have one more. At the Lord. Without him, he shows up. Go back to that. And it's so hard. Even I, I got to doubt it. I was like, I got to see that. So, never want to doubt my. One of the many reasons you can't doubt God because he unconsciously trustworthy. Here's something God cannot do, cannot lie. And he can never go back on a promise. And his grace overwhelmingly God's grace.
Take a moment to stand together with me and let the team lead us in amazing grace. I think we all know that. Let's just sing that to the Lord and celebrate His grace in our lives tonight. Sing with me. 
This time, Pastor is going to come and he's going to take the microphone. And um, we have not done this in a year and a half. Uh, we we just haven't done it in any church service. And I felt led to ask Pastor if he was okay with doing this tonight. And obviously, we don't have time for everybody to share multiple minutes at a time. And and I'll be quite honest with you. Sometimes we don't do that because sometimes people are like me and they don't know when to stop talking. Uh, my wife wishes I would learn that art. Uh, but at the same time, we're in desperate need at times of hearing what God is doing in lives to build up the body and realize that God's at work. So tonight, Pastor is going to come around with the microphone. If you feel led to share something that God has done in your life this week, we're looking at a minute, 30 seconds to a minute or less. We would love for you to stand or stay seated where you are, and tonight we're just going to give God glory for what he's doing in hearts and lives tonight. Because uh, sometimes we leave church, we don't even know. And, and it's not that we always, not that we have to know. God gets glory and thanksgiving abounds when we go, wow, God did that in them, God's doing that in me. Or if God's doing that in them, he can do that in me. So tonight, we want to open up a time of testimony, just like we asked the team to share tonight. Uh, we're going to give you that opportunity. The pastor's going to hold the microphone and let you share, and I'll let him get it. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start us off um, by reiterating, um, Brother Mark's very kind, um, we're talking short, okay? So some of y'all like me, you know, um, it's like preachers, just one more point, you know, and just one more story. So we're going to do a short testimony, maybe something God's done in your life this week um, uh, through uh, this revival and uh, through this team. Can I, can I tell you? Um, if, if you, if you think you've already arrived, you're in trouble. Okay. If you don't think you can improve, I think sometimes we don't want to share. I really appreciated that tonight, um, with the team where they were saying, you know, God's working on my heart about this. I think we're afraid to admit that because we're afraid that somebody might think we're faulted. Can I, can I help you with something? You're faulted. We all are, and we all can improve, and God has worked in my heart through prayer and through love and through the messages that have been preached, and they've just been 
just spoke to my heart. Somebody told me uh, this week, they said, um, Pastor, if, if somebody didn't get something out of this week, this is what they said, they must be broken. I thought that was such a great statement. And somebody that doesn't normally say stuff. And, and um, you know, uh, I know we need to be broken, obviously, and uh, so God can use us. But uh, maybe something God's done in your heart uh, or in your life uh, that you want to give testimony of. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to start over here, take a couple here, take a couple in the middle, and take a couple over on the other side. Uh, something that you want to share tonight that uh, maybe God done, has done in your week uh, through the dramas, through the singing, through the preaching uh, of God's Word. Um, uh, over, we'll start over here. Not everybody at one time, just one at a time. I don't don't act like oh. It's really been so much. Um, it's done a ton for my children, but it's made me reach out to people, and I don't generally do that. I'm very timid when it comes to just talking about my faith. Period. Um, but it's made me invite people to church. Um, made me talk about or dig deep about my prayer life, house, that was very important message. Um, but awesome. Yeah, I never, she was never talking. Yeah, d- ditto, uh, ditto what my wife said, and same with me, you know, reaching out to family members and people that, you know, you want to see here, and I've reached out to quite a few today, and closest friends ever, ever. Uh, Yeah, Ms. Ms. Christina said they need to come back. I've already talked to the team. They're all, as soon as they're done, they're going to come join the church here. And um, so we're thankful for that. Uh, I'll talk to you all later about that. Anybody else over here? Anybody else over here? I usually don't say very much, but I just want to say praise God. Um, Even when I wasn't here, online and I have been so through my bones um, I thought I was okay wasn't and I am just so thankful that I can allow the Holy Spirit to come touch me forgive me if I've ever done any act complacent because I never want to be away. And I thank God for this church, for friends, and, and for those that we come and at least share with us what we need from the gospel and to go out. Uh, thank the Lord. Lord, you know, part of the precious thankfully, 
devil to have us to pray for. Times God wants to. I just want to say that this week has been very invigorating to me. Everything that's happened, I appreciate it. Thank you for being here. I knew she was going to cry. Somebody in the middle. Somebody in the middle. Trey. Oh, hold on. Hold on. Let me get Mammy first. Is it on? Okay. Well, first of all, y'all are about to make me cry. And uh, I'm going to have to do this anyway someday, so I'll stand up. Um, first of all, uh, thank you, Nate, for all that you do, man. Uh, he, I've been struggling with lustful desires for as long as I can remember, man. Like, just because I'm, I'm a dude, you know. <clears throat> and uh, just thank you, Joey. Oh, man, you just you brought it to my attention that there ain't going to be that in heaven. And uh, it's just, it's really been working on my heart. And uh, yeah, that's all. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm one of the ones that he's talking about that talks too long. So I'm going to try to keep it short. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Grab this from me. Anyway, um, I, I've been struggling lately about better prayer work. And, um, you know how you get up in the morning and read your devotion or read somebody, and you'll rush through a prayer and leave or go do whatever you have to do. And um, and God really placed that on my heart that I, you know, my prayer has to be fervent and continuous every day. And this has been such a blessing. I mean, just to listen to you young people talk, it's like, oh, God, I don't, you know, I don't feel that way or I don't, can't say that to people, but um, it has just been a joy and the messages. And wonderful. And by the way, it was my granddaughter that got saved. Anyway. Amen. Praise the Lord. Somebody else in the middle? Anybody else in the middle? Ms. Pam. I just thank the Lord for his mercy and his salvation, but I just want to brag on these young people this week. Wow, is all I can say. They have been such a blessing. And I look at them up there, and I'm sure all of you do, and you think, wow, they're perfect. And they're not. Um, We had an opportunity to feed them for lunch and spend a little time with some of them, and I saw some of them laying on the ground sunning and, (laughs) and just enjoying Georgia. But we really need to pray for them. But y'all have just, I can't say it. The whole church can't say it enough. What a blessing, Brother Mark. And the whole team has been. And we will continue. I said today, y'all can't leave. You you, you just can't leave. We want to keep you. And you've been the greatest blessing and the greatest young people that I think that I have ever been around. And God bless each one of you. We love you. Let me tell you, some of these people give testimony like this, and some people, 
some of these people are surprising me. And, uh, and can, I, can I tell you something about our church? I tell you, young people especially, they don't say anything they don't mean. And so um, there's no pretense. There's no, they just are just blessed. And if you don't know, I want to share this with you real quick. I'm going to take some over here. Um, we, didn't, we didn't know this would ever, was ever going to be able to happen. Um, they've never been for, uh, this far south. North Carolina is where they do about a 10-week stint. And um, the Lord worked it out where, um, well, I hate to say that that church got sick, uh, but the church that they were supposed to go to, um, I'm not glad that they got sick. I'm just saying they got sick. And uh, because they got sick, they were able to come to us. And um, I couldn't say yes fast enough. And um, it really all worked out. And the Lord orchestrated this because this was something that our church needed. And that's evident. I mean, it's evident each night uh, of what they've of what they've accomplished. A couple testimonies over here. Anybody over here on this side? I'm going to have a talk with some of y'all after church. So enlightening, so refreshing. I've shared this with you. It's been a blessing. I've been more. Message. Hey, man, anybody else? Anybody else over here? Anybody else over here? All right, I, I, I can tell you, some of y'all should be saying something, and you're not. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Darren Akins. Uh, Miss Wanda and Kenneth, um, my wife works with Miss Wanda at Gio Vista, so she invited us out. Uh, it's our first time over here, so just want to first uh, congratulate you guys on doing an awesome job. Um, this is a wonderful congregation, and we're just thankful to be here. Amen. Praise the Lord. Anybody else over here? Anybody else? Let me take one more in the middle. Anybody else in the middle? Or Avalino, this is Jacob's dad, and he's from North Carolina, so he's considered south. I'm not as far south as you guys, but I still sound like you. Um, I just, you know, they're coming to our church next week, and what we've been attempting to do is prepare ourselves for revival, and what God's been showing me the last several weeks is when you start preparing yourself for revival without them even being here, God opens up amazing. I've been able the last few weeks pray with pastors. I didn't know that was pastors that were broken. I prayed with one of the host dads that my son stayed with. And when you're in the Word and when you're trying to revive yourself, not worry about your church needs. What he's teaching me is that you are so overflowing with Jesus Christ, you can't help but let it out and help. So they're going to be gone after Saturday. I chased them all over the country and asked Mark. Mark says, I got to start writing new sermons. I said, no, I need to keep listening to the ones you're preaching until I start living those, you know. But uh, what I want to challenge you guys with is after they leave, this doesn't have to stop. It's within yourself. Revival within yourself. Men, 
You want revival in your family? Have revival within yourself. Families, you want to have revival in your church? Have revival in your family, then you'll have revival in the church. Men, it's on you. You're the spiritual leader of your family. The men, start thinking about that tonight. Are you where you need to be in your reviving of yourself so that your family and the community can be? Amen. Thank you, Brother Evelino. He just thinks they're leaving on Saturday. We're not letting him go. But uh, praise the Lord. Thank you for sharing. I I know so many more of you could, and uh, it's just, it's the same and repeat. It's the same and repeat. God has really done uh, exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask. Well, at this time, the team's going to come and sing one final song for you this week, and then we'll put God's word together before we out tonight. This song encapsulates all of our testimony. Christ goes something like this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Saved I. Yes. 
How many of you know that old song, Doxology? Y'all know Doxology? Team, would you lead us in that this evening? Let's just give a final praise to the Lord. Praise God from whom all Take a moment, say hello to someone you haven't spoken to. We're going to dismiss the children, uh, ages 4 through 5th grade, teens 6th through 12th grade, and then we're going to look in God's Word together real quickly this evening. Thank you, Lyric. Well, I'm going to invite you to make your way back to your seats. And Well, as you make your way back to your seats tonight, I want to invite you to take your Bibles for a few moments and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this evening. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, I know we are uh, getting started on the message a little later than normal, but I plan not to take you much longer than you normally have been here. But we're going to let God set the agenda, as this is our last night. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want to talk to you about the most important day of your life. The most important day of your life. I made the comment last night that there are three kinds of people that are in every room. There's the lost, the complacent, and the faithful. The Bible categorizes the lost as those who do not know Christ. If you were to die tonight... You would spend eternity separated from God, paying for your sins in a place called hell. Because God is love, because God is merciful, and because God is just, all those who do not receive the provision that He gave for our sins in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross will have to pay for their own sin. The Bible says that person is lost, and we're all born lost. The Bible says, for we have all sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. But it is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And God demonstrated His own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, 
that whosoever, doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, where you grew up, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You say, when does everlasting life begin? The Bible tells us that everlasting life begins the moment you trust Jesus Christ because he is everlasting life. The moment you trust in Christ, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. The moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are washed of all your past, present, and future sins. The moment you trust in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. The slate is clean. You are legally justified. Not because you deserved it. Our righteousness was but filthy rags. But because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ is imputed to your account. You are forgiven. He gives you His righteousness. And now you and God can be reconciled. And God restores His relationship with you of which sin had separated, and the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of your life and makes you a new person. That's why Jesus Christ says that for all those who trust in Him, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Question for you tonight, are you a new creation? Are you lost or have you been made new? Are you lost or are you saved of the penalty of sin, the power of sin over your life, and one day the presence of of sin forever. Do you know Christ? If you're lost here tonight, tonight can be the night of salvation for you. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise. Somebody better say amen in Georgia. Not amen because I said it. That's the best promise one could hear. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I remember when I was five years old, someone told me that good news, that Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life in my place, died for my sin in my place. He who knew no sin became my sin so that I might have His righteousness. And it was not by works that I could be saved. There was nothing I could do to earn salvation. Jesus Christ earned it all. He's the only one that could. I now must receive His free gift of new life. And when I was five years old, I bowed on my face and knees there in my grandmother's house, and I called on Jesus to save me. And while I did not understand much about the Bible, I knew this. There was one God. I was a sinner. I was separated from Him. Jesus was the only way, the truth, and the life. I needed Jesus. I called on Jesus to save me, and He did. And that changed everything. Tonight, you may need to call on Jesus to save you, so that though you may have walked in the doors lost, you can leave here found. There's a second group of people. They're called the complacent. They know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but they got one foot in the world and one foot in Christ. And though they have the Holy Spirit of God and He's come to take up residence in them, though they know Jesus and there's been fruit of that, they're living in secret sin or public sin or in some sort of stronghold. They know that there's sin in their life that they have not dealt with and it has destroyed their intimacy between them and their Heavenly Father. Now, here's the thing. Once you get saved, you can't lose your salvation, but you sure can lose the joy of it. And maybe you're like King David, who was a saved man, and though he committed adultery, and though he covered up that adultery by having her husband murdered, he was a man after God's own heart, and proof that he was a man after God's own heart isn't that he blew it and messed up. It's what he did when he did blow it. And when Nathan the prophet came to him and said, David, you're that man, we have Psalm 51 where David says, Oh God, have mercy on me. Forgive me of my sin. 
I have lost the joy. I haven't lost my salvation. I've just lost the joy of my salvation. God, renew a right spirit in me. God, get me back in fellowship with you. And that day, David got his sin right. He went from being complacent to faithful again. And maybe that's the way you walked in here tonight. Praise God for a young man that stood up tonight. That took a lot of courage for that young man to stand up tonight and say, I've been struggling with this and I need to get it right. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That verse is written to believers. Why? Because even as believers, though we've been made new, we still struggle with sin. And the key is to walk into confession and repentance moment by moment so that we keep the intimacy and the closeness with the one who has saved us. And then tonight, you may be the faithful. You're walking with Jesus. You're filled with the Spirit. You're pleasing Him. You wake up in the morning like one of you told me and and you cry out, oh God, see if there be any wicked way in me. I want to walk with you. I want to be intimate with you. You're the faithful and you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're dying to self and Jesus Christ is manifesting Himself in and through your mortal body and He is bearing fruit through your life. Out of you flows rivers of living water like Jesus promised. You're the faithful. Tonight, we want to see you refresh and encourage. Don't you stop. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Keep on keeping on. You have every reason to. You want to know why? Because the faithful are on the winning side. And that brings me to this subject, the most important day of your life. Look with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 9, wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. This is the Apostle Paul speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, hey, I'm a saved man. I know Jesus. What's my aim? I want to live pleasing to him. Why? Here's my motivation. Verse 10, for we must all, we must all, we must all, all means all, appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Now I'm going to spend the rest of this time explaining this passage. But I believe what this passage is letting us know is that that is the most important day of our life. You say, what's the most important day of your life? It's the day you stand before Jesus Christ to give an account with what you did with your Christian life. The Bible says there's two kinds of judgments. The Bible says it is appointed for man once to die, and after this, the judgment. And there's two kinds of judgments. There's the judgment for those who have trusted Christ, and there's the judgment for those who have not. And tonight I want to talk to you about those two things, because I am convinced that the devil wants you to forget about your most important day. I was a Baptist before I was born again. (laughs) You'll catch that sometime later. And I have heard thousands of sermons. And I bet I could count on one hand how many sermons I've heard about the judgment seat of Christ. Yet it's the most important day of my life. You say, wait a second, preacher. The most important day of my life was the day I got married. You know what? It was a very important day for me too, but it wasn't the most important. It was very important, but it wasn't the most important. You say, wait a second. The most important day of my life was the day I held my firstborn child or my children. That was a very special day for me too, for those that God has blessed with children. It was precious, but it wasn't the most important. You may even say, hey, the most important day of my life was the day Jesus saved me. I would say in one sense that that was your most important day up until then. Now, after you're saved, the most important day is this one. 
It's the day you stand before Christ and give an account with what you did with the grace He gave you. Tonight, the team sang, your grace still amazes me. Tonight, we sang, amazing grace. What are you doing with the bountiful grace that God has given you? You say, God hasn't been good to me. God hasn't given me enough. I want to tell you this. If God never gave you another blessing, He has sealed it all in this one right here. In fact, God says, if He's already given you the very best thing He could give you, will He not take care of all lesser things? In, in other words, the greatest thing God can give you is Himself. And He's given us Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And the goodness of God should lead us to repentance. Paul knew that. One of you mentioned it tonight. I think one of the team members mentioned it. It was Joe, actually. Joe said, we should live new lives because of the mercies of God. What's the greatest mercy of God? This right here. And this here, the cross of Jesus Christ, should call me to repentance and to get ready for the day. Paul tells us we must all get ready to stand before Christ and give an account. Take a look with me at a few thoughts this evening. The Bible says here this is a judgment of all believers. It's a place where everything is accounted for. In other words, every believer is going to give an account of what they did with their Christian life at the Bema seat or the judgment seat. Now you say, wait a second, Mark. Will the Christian give an account for their sin? And the answer is no, in the sense that you do not have to bear your sins anymore. The Bible says in Romans 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is great news. If you and I tonight had to pay for any sin, we would have to spend eternity in hell because that's how horrific sin is against a holy God. But when Jesus Christ cried, it is finished on the cross, he meant it. All your sin, past, present, and future, was laid upon the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world and he drank every drop of wrath that we deserve so that we could drink his cup of eternal life forever. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you will not give an account for sin in the sense that you've got to take on God's condemnation that your sin deserves because Christ has already taken it in your place. You are free. But when you do stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it's going to be a time of reward or lack of reward. What did you do with grace? What did you do with the Holy Spirit? What did you do with eternal life? At the judgment seat of Christ, some are going to receive great reward. And there's going to be other believers, of which the Bible tells us, that though they're saved and they go to heaven forever, and it's going to be wonderful, and they get a new resurrected body, they're going to have no reward. Why? They were saved, but they wasted the grace. The Bible goes on to tell us this about the judgment seat of Christ. It's an event of reverential fear and holy alarm. The Apostle Paul tells us here in this passage, knowing therefore, verse 11, the terror of the Lord, we persuade people, whether in Rican, Georgia, or in India, or in China, we persuade people because all are going to give an account before God. In other words, 10 out of 10 people are going to stand before God in judgment. No one gets out of it. Now, I want to tell you a statistic that's quite staggering to me personally. If you were to go home tonight and Google how many people die a day, how many people die in a 24-hour period on this planet? It's 120,000 people a day. 
From the time we met last night in last night's service to tonight, there have been 120,000 funerals on this planet. Let me put that in perspective. I grew up in Denton, North Carolina. That was about 1,200 people. So that was like a little Mayberry population, so to speak. And then I moved to Roanoke, Virginia. Roanoke, Virginia is one of the largest cities on the western part of Virginia. There's 100,000 people in the city limits of Roanoke. Every day on this planet, the entire city of Roanoke dies. And one day, it's going to be me. One day, it's going to be you. And here's the interesting thing. It doesn't matter if you're poor, rich, or powerful, or a pauper, no one's getting out of it. Presidents die. Paupers die. In fact, out of the 120,000 people that die every day, the the United Nations tells us that 25,000 of them die of starvation. The poor die, but the rich die. Every once in a while, I'll Google, who famous or rich died this week? I did this over the past several months, and one week I Googled it, and Angela Lansbury died. Uh, one, One week I Googled it, and Loretta Lynn died. One week I Googled it, and Queen Elizabeth died. One week I Googled it and Lisa Marie Presley died. It doesn't matter whether you're poor, rich, famous, or powerful. You cannot escape death. Donald Trump will not be able to escape it. Joe Biden will not be able to escape it. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And one day, every single person will give an account with their life. And the Apostle Paul says, we persuade men knowing the terror of the Lord. C.T. Studd, a famous missionary, put it this way, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. The judgment seat of Christ. There's two judgments. We're talking about the one for believers first. I'll talk to you about the one for the lost here in a few moments. But it's an event of reverential alarm. And then the Bible also tells us that faithfulness to God and His Word is required if praise is going to be given. If you're going to get reward with what you did with your Christian life at the judgment seat, the requirement is that stewards be found faithful. And no human opinion will matter, only God's. You say, Mark, where do you get this from? I want you to turn with me back one page to 1 Corinthians, not one page, but one book, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, just turn back one book, and Paul is explaining to the church at Corinth about this most important day. We're going to read three passages to help us wrap our mind around the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. This is such a powerful passage. Paul says this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In other words, we are stewards, not owners. God owns everything. Tonight, when you go out into the parking lot and you get in your car, it's not your car. Tonight, when you go home to your house, it's not your house. Tonight, when you pull out your checkbook, it's not your checkbook. Tonight, if you are married and you look at your spouse, it's not necessarily your spouse. They're not your kids. God owns it all. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We are stewards. God has given us opportunity to exercise dominion. God owns it all, and He delegates stewardship to us. Moreover, it is found that stewards be found faithful to God. 
Paul understood he owned nothing, but he was a steward of the mysteries of God, of the Word of God, the ministry of God. Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But then notice what he says here. Don't miss this. He says, I want you folks to know, with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you. In other words, you all have an opinion of me, but at the end of the day, it's not about your opinion or of man's judgment, the outside world. It doesn't matter what you think of me. It doesn't matter what the outside world thinks of me. Yea, I judge not even my own self. You say, what's he saying here? It's incredible. The Apostle Paul, the reason he is such a man used by God is because of his view of God and his view of self. The Apostle Paul said, hey, the church has an opinion of me. Some of them don't like my preaching. Uh, some of them uh, fall asleep when I'm preaching. In fact, there's one time uh, Paul was preaching and a guy fell asleep in the window, fell, died. Paul went down, resuscitated him back to life. It was quite a service. He says, some of you don't like the way I look. Some of you don't like what, the way I've dealt with you. He goes, there are people in the church that don't have a good opinion of me, but at the end of the day, it's not about your judgment. Though I want to protect my testimony... Though I don't want to hinder the name of Christ, at the end of day, it's not about what you think of me. He said, but it's also not about what the world thinks of me. But then he says something that gets me every time. He said, and it's also not even about what I think of me. I want you to think about that one. You see, every Sunday when I was growing up in church, though I appreciated my independent Baptist fundamental church that preach the Bible, and preach the gospel, I'll just be quite honest with you. The church I grew up in was a mortuary with a steeple. It was as dead as it could be. We went 10 years without seeing somebody get saved. That's why every time I see somebody get saved, I look at these young people and I say, you're 19 years old and you've seen over 30 people get saved in two weeks and you've seen 250 people get saved in the past year and a half. I went 10 years in my home church without seeing somebody be born again. And you want to know Why? I'll tell you why. Because we were self-righteous. We all thought we were good to go. We were critical of everybody, and we never talked to lost people. And if anybody walked in our church and didn't look like us, we looked down on them. And we quenched the Holy Spirit of God. And no one ever came forward at the altar because everybody would think, well, they got a problem. And we would sing our surrender all every Sunday at the invitation, and it was the biggest lie that had ever been sung. In fact, the Holy Spirit hardly ever showed up at our church, and we would have known it if he had, because he wasn't an invited guest. But I'll tell you our biggest problem. It was pride. We walked in, and we were our own judges. I'm good. Are you good? Well, if we're not good, let's fake it. I feel good about me. Here's what the Apostle Paul said. It doesn't even matter what I think of me. At the end of the day, there's only going to be one person's word that matters. The Lord Jesus Christ, who knows all and sees all, He will have the final word, for He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the great I Am. And no one else gets the final word but Jesus. So Paul tells us here in this passage, at the end of the day, judge nothing before the time. Look with me in verse 5. Judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels or the motives of the heart. And then every man shall have praise of God. He's talking about the judgment seat of Christ for believers. That's why he says every man will have praise from God. Why? The judgment seat of Christ is about reward or lack thereof. 
It's not about being judged for sin or you'd have to go to hell. That's what the great white throne judge is all about. You see, the Christian, their sin has been taken care of on the cross. That's why we sing, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Because my sin has been dealt with, this is a time of reward or lack thereof, and God is going to be looking at my Christian life since the time I got saved at the age of five, and if I die tonight until I'm 43 years old and say, what did you do with the 38 years of grace that I gave you? And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the people that you and the churches that you pastored and that you preached at thought about you. It doesn't matter what the world thinks about you. Mark, it doesn't even think what you thought about you. I know. And that's what will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. I want you to look at one more passage with me. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Now you can turn back one page probably in your Bible. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12. He gives us one more description of the most important day of your life. Verse 12. Now if any man build upon this foundation, which is Christ, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. It's going to be made known. For the day, what day? The judgment seat of Christ shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Let me share with you a few things and bring this to a head this evening. Take a look. The motives will be laid bare and scrutinized. So God's not just going to look at your actions. He's going to look at why you did what you did. Was it for the glory of God? Did you have pure motives? Was it out of love for God and love for others? Were you filled with the Spirit? Let's go on to the next slide. Christ is the foundation. It's going to be a review of your Christian life. Were you a Spirit-filled believer or a carnal believer? Now, I want to suggest something to you. Samson, the Bible tells us, is in the hallmark of faith. Samson was a saved man, but he was a carnal man. When you read about Samson, though he was saved, and though Hebrews 11 says he's going to be in the hallmark of faith, we're going to see Samson in heaven. He lived most of his Christian life as a carnal man. He's going to not see very much reward when he stands before God. Were you a spirit-filled believer or a carnal believer? Well, the Bible says this, when we stand before Jesus, and I don't know exactly what it looks like, but Paul gives us a description, there's going to be a fire there. We're going to call it the refiner's fire. And God is going to take your Christian life and put it in that fire. And if it withstands the refiner's fire, that's going to be gold, silver, and precious stones. Those are those works, those things that we did in the power of the Spirit for the glory of God where we live the not I but Christ life and it withstands His fire. It comes out gold, silver, and precious stones and whatever comes out that way gets reward. But everything that we did in the Christian life where we lived carnally, we lived in the flesh, we were full of pride, we did it for our own glory, all those things is going to come out wood, hay, and stubble. That's going to burn up. Those things burn in a fire. There you will lose reward. Let's take a look at this final thought here. It'll be no room for debate. Reward or loss, the refiner's fire will reveal it. Now, what kind of rewards are we looking to receive at the judgment seat? Let me share these with you real quickly. The crown of righteousness. 
The Bible says that some are going to receive a crown of righteousness and it's given to those who long for his appearing. Let me ask you a question. If you're a Christian, but you're more at home in this world than in heaven, don't expect to see the crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness is given to those Christians that are so filled with God that they are homesick for heaven and they long for His appearing. They are looking to the eastern sky. Jesus, you haven't taken me home yet. You haven't come back yet. So today I'm going to serve you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be filled with you. May your heart be my passion. I'm going to be on mission with you. But I'm longing for you to come back. Why? Because you are my home. I live for your kingdom and yours alone. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The crown of righteousness. But here's a second crown that you can expect. It's the crown of life. The Bible tells us that the crown of life is given to those who are faithful to the end, no matter what kind of persecution they receive. There may be many of us, because we live in America, that that receive very little persecution for the faith. However, the Bible says that all who live godly in Christ Jesus are going to endure persecution. I'll be quite honest with you, there's sometimes I get scared when we go to revival meetings and everybody starts talking about how great the team is and how wonderful it was, and I'm thinking, if we don't hurry up and get some rocks thrown at us, we're not doing something right. Because all who live godly in Christ Jesus will receive persecution. The world does not like what the Christian has to say because it's contrary to our sinful nature. Well, many are persecuted for the faith. My son is a missionary in North Africa. Where he is a missionary, it is 99.5% Muslim, and it is against the law to win someone to Christ. If he were to do that, and then those people were to win someone else to Christ, they could go to prison for life or worse. Those who receive persecution for the faith can expect to receive the crown of life. Here's another crown the Bible tells us. It's the crown of glory. The crown of glory. You say, what is the crown of glory? It's given to pastors and shepherds and overseers of the church who are faithful to God's word to the end. Can I say this to you tonight, church? You want to see your pastor get that crown. You want to help your pastor fulfill his responsibilities not to do all the work, but to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Can I just say this tonight? After 25 years of pastoring, There are times I got the impression when I was pastoring that people thought, hey, we pay you the big bucks to run everything and to do everything. Well, here's the problem with that. I'm one person. And I didn't get all the spiritual gifts the day I got saved. I just got a few. Jesus spread them out amongst the body. Why? Because when the body is filled with the Spirit, they're all using their spiritual gifts to build up the body. It takes a family to care for a family. The pastor is just one part of it. He's the overseer, the shepherd, and his job is to equip the saints so that they get out and do the work of the ministry. That's what the Bible says. So can I just say this on behalf of your pastor tonight? You help your pastor, and the more you help him, the more, by God's grace, he'll be able to help you become all God wants you to be. We help one another, the crown of glory. Here's another crown. It's the crown incorruptible. The Bible says some at the judgment seat of Christ are going to receive the incorruptible crown and it's given to those who run their own race with endurance and compete according to the rules by disciplining themselves for godliness. It's the idea of an athlete. It means the Christian life is an athletic race to where you run the race with endurance fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, and as you discipline yourself for godliness, you don't let things disqualify your race. 
In fact, the Apostle Paul says, I beat my body into subjection lest I be disqualified. I don't want to backslide into egregious, horrific sin. I I want to be so careful. I want to have a clear conscience. I want to walk in purity and holiness. I want to receive the crown incorruptible for a righteous life lived by grace. And lastly, there's the crown of rejoicing. Real quick, does anybody know what this crown is given for? I'll give you a hint. Every time this happens, the angels throw a party in heaven. Winning souls. The Proverbs tells us, he who wins souls is wise, but only 2% of Christians in America are interested in doing it. Only 2% of Christians share their faith. There's going to be a lot of Christians in heaven that are going to enjoy heaven forever, but they're going to miss out on the crown of rejoicing. The crown of rejoicing comes to those who share the gospel and make disciples, which is the very commission of the church. Sadly, though, the Great Commission has become the great omission. Jesus has given us our marching orders, and we've decided to do other things. I'll just say this because I'm leaving, and you don't ever have to have us back. Some churches are more interested in fighting over carpet, pews, and the color of paint than they are about the Great Commission. We're going to be in for a big wake-up call when we There's going to be some people that are saved, and they're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and they're going to get surprised when they found out that their church wasn't their church, that it was actually his church. I've heard horror stories just in the past few weeks of people who have been in Bible-believing churches for years thinking it's their church and causing so much division. It's not your church. You didn't die for it. You hadn't shed one drop of blood for it. It is Christ's church, and He will build His church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Give Christ His church back. That was all for free because that was not in the notes. And then here's the last thing. Living in light of the judgment seat of Christ produces moment-by-moment holiness. It's hard to live in pornography and remember the most important day of your life. It's as simple as that. You can't look at porn all day and think about the judgment seat of Christ at the same time. They just don't go together. You can't walk around with a rotten attitude all day like the judgment seat of Christ. You can't sit around and watch television all day long and do nothing with your Christian life if you're thinking about the most important day. So here's where I'm heading with this. The devil wants you to forget about this. That's why I've heard a handful of messages on it. The devil wants you to forget about this day because if he can't steal your salvation, which he can't, he sure wants to steal your service. I'll share this story with you, and I'm going to give you one passage about the final judgment and we'll close. Thank you all for your attention. Years ago, we went on vacation down here in Jekyll Island, not far from here, one of our favorite vacation spots. And there's not many people on the beach there. And I don't really like the beach because I used to have red hair. And that means I got fair skin. So I never get a tan. Like I'm looking at some of y'all and you got like a tan and I, I struggle with that. I'm like, how do, like, why do you get that? And I don't. And uh, I'm either red, white, or peeling. <laughs> and then I had kids, and they've all got fair skin and red hair, and they're either red, white, or peeling. So we don't go out to the beach during the day because we just get fried. And 
So we go out early in the morning, we go out late at night. Here's the other reason I don't like the beach. I don't like sharks. My wife's all the time telling me, she'll always give me the statistics. Like more people die by this than by sharks. She even did it today. She tried to tell me today. Literally, my wife told me this today. She goes, did you know that more people die a year by getting hit by a coconut than by sharks? I'm like, this does not change my mind. I've been out way in the water before, like where I can't see, and something big bump into my leg, and I thought about it. Whatever that was can see me, but I can't see it. I don't like this. I don't really like the beach. But we go. My wife loves it. We're out at Jekyll Island. It's an evening. Sun's down. And I'm not getting in the water because I don't do sharks. And there's hardly nobody on the beach. There's about five people that way. There's about five people that way. Jekyll Island. My daughter, Lexi, the redheaded girl that was standing up here tonight, this was about three years ago, and Brianna, my other daughter, and my wife were there. Our sons weren't able to go, and we were just kind of splashing around in the water. I mean, if, if here's the shore, I mean, we weren't past that pew. I mean, we are just barely in the water, safe. I mean, like, if a shark comes there, like, I can get away from it. And about that time, Lexi, though she was just splashing around right there, she was facing me, and she starts going backwards, though she's facing me. And I looked at her and I said, Lexi, come back. She's like, I'm trying. And she's, and she's doing this and she's coming forward, but she keeps going backwards. Now, I had heard of riptides, but I knew very little about them. But that's what was happening. She was getting pulled in a riptide. Now, here's the thing. I did not know that the way to get out of a riptide was you were supposed to go parallel. I didn't know that. The second thing I found out after the fact is that you get out of riptide by letting it take you out to the ocean where all the sharks are, and if you don't get eaten, you swim around it. But you never try to swim toward the shore. That's what gets you. You, ex- you, you exhaust yourself and you drown. Well, I didn't know that, so I take off after her. By the time I get to her, we are way out in the ocean, caught up in the midst of this riptide, and I've got one hand on her, and I'm trying to tread water, and the waves are crashing into us, and we're going under, coming up, going under, coming up, going under, coming up, and it wouldn't stop. And no matter how hard I tried to swim towards shore, I couldn't get anywhere. And I started to panic, and she started to panic, and she started to cry, and this went on for what seemed like an eternity. And I never forget, I fought it, and I fought it, and I fought it, and I fought it. And I thought, I cannot let go of my girl. I can't let go of my girl, but I can't even hold myself up much longer. And I never forget, there came a point where I looked down at the water, and I, could, I literally was getting so tired, I could see myself just giving up and going under. And I thought, here's the way I'm going to meet Jesus. I went underwater one of the 30 times that I went underwater. I lost track. We were half waterlogged, drowning. I was exasperated. And I come up out of the water and I thought, if something doesn't give soon, we're going to die. And I looked out and there was this man with his son probably 100 yards away with a surfboard. And when we got out to the beach, there was nobody around us. And now all of a sudden, this guy shows up. And I thought, if I can yell loud enough, I might can get his attention. So we go under again. I come up. Lungs half full of water, and I yell in the best preacher voice I possibly can, help, and he doesn't hear me. We go under. I come back up, help, we go under. Finally, on the third help, he sees me, and I see him coming. It was the best thing I've ever seen in my life. That man gets to us, he's just 
Thomas he He's got a six-foot-long surfboard. It is the most beautiful thing I've ever laid my eyes on. He puts that in front of us, and just as calm as he can be, he goes, lay down on the surfboard. I didn't lay on it. I took this 200-pound lean meat fight machine, and I just squashed that board. Lexi hopped on it. We wrapped around it. He said, now listen, the waves are still going to hit you, but I got you. Still and calm. Got us all the way out. Next thing I know, I'm on dry land, coughing up water. I should not be alive. I never will forget when I finally coughed up enough water and could stand up to my feet because I was so tired. I looked at him and I said, where did you come from? He said, well, a few minutes ago, we just came out to the beach. There's not many people out here. And we, for some reason, we just decided to park our blanket near your family and Wow. He said, oh, by the way, I'm a professional surfer. He said, of course you are. He said, you're the third person I've saved from a riptide. Wow. Took his hand. I, I didn't, I, there was no way I could repay him for what he had done. That was three years ago. A few weeks ago, we're sitting at the dinner table. Chipotle. Is eating Chipotle, and my 12-year-old is sitting there. Out of nowhere, she looks at me and she goes, hey, Dad. I said, yeah. She goes, you remember when you and Lexi about died in that riptide? I choked on my Chipotle. Thanks for bringing that up. Still getting over the PTSD from that. I said, yeah, honey, what's on your mind? She said, do you remember what the guy looked like who saved you? Thought about it, I thought. That was just three years ago. I can't remember. In fact, I wouldn't know him if he walked into this room tonight. I looked at her and said, no, honey, I, I can't remember what he looked like. She goes, oh, okay. And she goes back to eating. I'm like, why did... But I couldn't get it off my mind. All of a sudden, the Lord just kind of impressed upon my heart. You know, that's a lot like the Christian life. Somebody's life. Times you get so distant, you don't recognize them anymore. You may be busy doing things for him. Lost the joy of you. The devil wants you to forget why Jesus saved you. I also want you to forget about the day. For those that have trusted him, what the Bible says. Take a look on the screen. Go one more. Then I saw a great white throne, the book of Revelation tells us, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Adolf Hitler had to stand before God. Donald Trump had to stand before God. Anyone that does not know Christ, and I'm not implying that 
I'm just throwing out names here. If you don't know Christ, you're standing before God and you're going to give an account of your life. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. What is this judgment all about? It's for those who have not received the Savior. See, somebody's got to pay for sin. And if you have not received the Savior, that means you've tried to be your own Savior. But you can't save yourself. In fact, if your good works will cut it, the cross was the biggest waste of time in history. The cross is proof to us that none of us could cut it. And we need a Redeemer. But all those who rejected Him and died in their sin, now have to give an account with their lives. And the only result of this judgment, lake of fire. You say, Mark, that is not politically correct. Mark, that's not real popular. I know, but it's the Bible. God says there's two judgments. One for the believer, reward or lack thereof. One for those that don't trust Christ and have to bear the weight of their for eternity. I could sit up here tonight and tell you how good God is, but let me tell you another reason God is good. He warned us. He warned us. Right there it is. If you didn't know this, tonight you now know. You now know. You know what God has said. You have the opportunity, if you never trusted Christ tonight, say, dear Jesus, I am a sinner grace. You saved me from the penalty of I deserve. You saved me from the power of sin in my life. One day, would you save me from the presence of sin forever? I need you to be my Lord and Savior. I put my faith and trust in you. Tonight, ready for the day. Bow your head and close your eyes with me. Valerie's going to come and play quietly. Pastor's going to come and just finish up our time together. I know we went a little over tonight. Thank you so much for being patient. Thank you for sharing your testimonies. This Thank you for giving God freedom to work tonight. As Valerie plays quietly, it's really none of my business, but I would count it a privilege to pray with you. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you say, Hey, Mark, I know Jesus. I am saved. I am washed by the blood of the Lamb. But I'm not living in victory. I'm not filled with the Spirit of God. I got sin in my life that needs to be dealt with. I got things that I know God's convicted me about that need to be dealt with. And I need to get these things right. And I need to get back living in victory. I need to get back living pleasing to Him. And I can't do this. That's why He gave me the Spirit. It's by His grace. See, what Jesus commands, He enables. You can't live the Christian life on your own. That's why the Holy Spirit come to live inside of you. As you die to self and yield to Him, He lives His life in and through you. He bears fruit through your life. And you say, Mark, and I got I to gotta get some things right. Not only so I don't waste my life now, but so that I get ready for the day. The most important day of my life. Mark, would you pray with me about that? If that's you tonight, would you just slip your hand up? Amen.
Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Anyone else tonight? Thank you. Amen. I got some things in my life I need to get squared away so that that I'll live in victory so that I'll be ready for the day. Anyone else like that tonight? Amen. Amen. Here's another question I have for you. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you say, hey, Mark, I don't think I'm going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. I think I'm going to be at that other judgment because I don't know Jesus. If I died tonight, I don't know where I would go. Right now, I stand condemned. I am a sinner. And He's a holy God. And I've never trusted in His Son. I've never called on Jesus to save me of my sin. And tonight, I realize I'm lost in need of a Savior. Would you pray with me about that? I think I need to get saved. I need to know Jesus. If that's you tonight, would you just slip your hand up? I'm going to remember to pray for you. I'm lost. God's been showing me that. I need to get saved. I need to trust Christ. Anyone like that tonight? Well, Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you so much for speaking to our hearts tonight. God, we pray, Lord, that long beyond this night and this week, you would do a refreshing, renewing work in the people of God here at Rincon Baptist Temple. Lord, that they would move forward in faith, that they would share the gospel with the lost, that they would walk in spirit-filled victory, that they would live in holy, reverential fear of you, that they would enjoy their new identities as Christian sons and daughters of the King, that they would be marked by your love, your unity, and your freedom, and that every sin that you bring up in their lives, they would confess and repent, walk in faith, celebrate your victory with one another. So God, we look forward to all that you're going to continue to do here in this church in these days. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor, would you come and close us? Well, I can say tonight and this week, it's been a great week. Thinking about this, Mark was preaching. Thank the team for being here. We need to thank Brother Mark for the messages. Man, we need to thank the Holy Spirit, speaking to our hearts, uh, doing a work in our hearts and our lives. I know many of you told me, boy, God has done this or God has done that. God has worked through this. Um, it has been um, it has been fruitful. So thank you, um, Brother Mark, Valerie. We appreciate you guys. And um, I'm glad that you got to see a little bit of what I got to see. Um, when Emma went uh, to uh, Pennsylvania. And I tell them all the time, if I knew it was all the way in Pennsylvania, <laughs> I said no. Uh, that's a long ways away. But, wow, God is just continuing to do a work. Pray for him if you would. I'm going to leave here Saturday morning early, head back to North Carolina, and uh, they've got another five weeks somewhere along, along there uh, of different churches. and. Um, 
And one of the reasons that we wanted this week to be a revival for us and a refreshment for them is because I'm telling you, a lot of these churches they go into, they have schools, they've got to speak in chapels, they've got to sing here, they've got to do an 80 or 90 hours they are, are going nonstop. And uh, did you see the drama? They do dramas like that that just give me goosebumps because just to think of all the effort, oh, that's no problem. Listen, next week, I'm going to call on some of y'all to come up, and we're going to do a drama like that. And uh, that takes some effort to, to do stuff like that. And um, just the, the evidence of uh, God's love in their lives uh, is, uh, is so cool. And so uh, if you get a chance, um, if you haven't talked to one of the members uh, of the team, get a chance to talk to them, thank them, uh, tell them you're praying for them. They probably grabbed a hold of one of y'all's hands and prayed for you. And um, I just love that about these young people. And um, some of them, 18, 19, 20 years old, they got, you know, old souls. I mean, they just uh, love God and uh, love people and want to serve them. And so, um, uh, Brother Mark, Miss Valerie, I want to ask you to go to the back um, and just stand back there. Yeah, just um, when you when you leave, just let them know you're praying for them and thinking about them. Tell them how much you appreciate uh, the messages and uh, all the effort that's been put into it. I'll be saying a little bit more of this about uh, more about this on Sunday. But I, I, I'm not even going to attempt to thank the people uh, that have made this happen. Um, it just doesn't happen. One person can't do this. And so uh, thank you for so many of you that have made this happen. And uh, we certainly praise the Lord uh, for your effort and for your love uh, to serve the Lord as well. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday school, we're going to have, we'll have our Sunday school, 9 o'clock, Sunday morning, uh, 10 o'clock. We're going to be taking up our faith promise missions. We've got our faith promise missions cards in. So we're going to be ready uh, on Sunday morning. Uh, We'll be handing those out and turning those in uh, we'll probably be handing them out Sunday school and right before church, and then uh, going to get as many of those in uh, as possible. Thank you for all those that gave as well, and um, it's just been great. A lot of these young people have loved. I'm telling you, they've just felt at home, and uh, they they would lay out sheets out there in the um, uh, in the grass and uh, do their Bible studies out there and their school out there, and the weather's been great. Um, I think we're going to be sandwiched between two really rainy times. So they came in wet. I think they're going to leave with it raining. But the whole time in between, uh, it has been uh, sun shining and nice. And uh, Lord has shined down uh, upon uh, our week together. Visitors, thank you for being here. Hope you'll be back. Be back with us on Sunday. Uh, We'd love to have you with us uh, again. Heavenly Father, we love you. We do thank this time together. Thank you for a great and wonderful week. Thank you for the many blessings that you do bestow upon us and that you have bestowed upon us this week. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to remember that uh, uh, revival starts with us and revival uh, continues. Uh, with us, and you uh, are the focus. I pray that you'd help us uh, to focus on you, not just here in this place, but in our homes and in our workplace and in our communities uh, 
in our neighborhoods. Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, uh, to get a clear focus. Help us to clean house. Help us to understand the importance of prayer. And Lord, help us to understand the most important day of our lives as we meet you face to face. Dismiss us with your blessing. Give us a good week the rest of this week and keep us safe. Well, thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Good to see you.